Brothers and sisters, our Old Testament reading for today is 1 Kings 19, 9-21. And then the New Testament reading, Luke 9, 57-62. This will be our sermon text. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 9-21. through There Elijah came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, He wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. Hazael, to be king over Syria, rather. And Yehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Meholah, to be, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Yehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Yehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave seven thousand in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Let us go now to the New Testament reading, which is Luke 9, verses 57 through 62. As they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. 
And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is now the reading of God's most holy word. May he add his blessing to the preaching of it this morning. I have a question for you. What does it cost to have Jesus as your Savior? On the one hand, we could say nothing. It costs us nothing to have Jesus as our Savior. His love is freely given. The salvation He provides is a gift that cannot be earned. It can only be received. He cleanses us from sin and clothes us with His righteousness by God's grace. And this is received through faith in Christ alone. This is true. To have Jesus as Savior costs us nothing. But there is more to say. And so I will ask the question again. What does it cost to have Jesus as your Savior? On the other hand, we could say everything. To have Jesus as our Savior, to follow after Him and to be a disciple of His, will cost us everything. And here I will remind you of the words of Christ found in Luke 9, 23-24. And He said to all, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for My sake will save it. To follow Jesus, one must deny himself. To be a disciple of Jesus, one must take up his own cross and die to self. To follow after Jesus, one must first lose his life. And the great paradox is that in losing your life for Christ's sake, you will truly find it. So then I suppose that brings us back to the first answer, doesn't it? What does it cost to have Jesus as Savior? Well, nothing in the end. For in Christ we gain life, life abundant, life eternal. When I say that it will cost a person everything to have Jesus as Savior, I'm in no way denying that salvation is a gift from God. We are saved by God's grace alone, through faith in Christ alone. Or to quote Paul, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because... By the works of the law, no one will be justified. That is Galatians 2.16, and I do love that text because of the repetitiveness in it. There in that one verse, Paul repeats himself three times, and in three different ways he insists that no one is justified, no one is forgiven, no one is saved by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And of course... I am in no way denying that salvation is a pure gift, a gift that can only be received by trusting in Jesus. It costs us nothing. But here I am observing that to have Jesus as Savior, we must also have Him as Lord. No one has ever had Jesus as Savior who does not also have Him as Lord. So I'll quote Paul again. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. 
To confess Jesus as Lord is to confess that He is the Lord God Almighty incarnate. And as Lord, He is to be worshipped. He is to be obeyed. And so I say that to have Jesus as Lord, this will cost you everything. For if Jesus is your Lord, that means you are not. You are not Lord of yourself if Christ is your Lord. As Christ Himself has said, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That is Luke 16, 13. And neither can you serve Christ and yourself. The principle is that we only have one Lord. We serve someone. And if Christ is Lord, that means we are not Lord of ourselves. For we have surrendered ourselves completely to Him. To have Christ as Lord and Savior requires us to turn from sin, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow after Him. To have Christ as Lord and Savior will involve surrendering ourselves to Him, entrusting ourselves to Him, submitting ourselves to His will for us, and striving to obey His commandments. This act of faith, surrender, and submission to Christ will cost us everything now. But in this way, we gain everything. Life abundant now, and life for all eternity. So what does it cost to have Jesus as Lord and Savior? In a sense, nothing. But in another very important sense, it will cost us everything. Here in the passage that is open before us today, we are exhorted to count the cost of being a disciple of Jesus. Here in this passage, Jesus tells the truth about what being a disciple of His will require. Luke briefly reports on three encounters that Jesus had with potential disciples. In each instance, Christ pressed them to count the cost. And I think one general observation we can make is that Jesus was no salesman. In no way did He attempt to sugarcoat things. Jesus did not behave like a recruiter, speaking only of the benefits of being a disciple of His while concealing the true cost. Jesus told the truth. And of course, He told the truth knowing that His elect would certainly hear His voice and respond to His call in due time. What is this passage about? Well, it is a warning to all who would consider following after Jesus to count the cost and to fully surrender themselves to Him as Lord. In verses 57 through 58, we learn that to follow Jesus, we must be willing to suffer with Him. In verse 57, we read, As they were going along the road. This phrase reminds us of what was said back in verse 51. When the days drew near for Him to be taken up, He set His face to go to Jerusalem. So the road that Jesus was on was the road to Jerusalem. And this is a very important thing to keep in mind as we interpret this text. Jesus had ministered in the region of Galilee. He was opposed by scribes and Pharisees there. But He kept His distance from Jerusalem and from the powerful people who were centered there. But now it was time for Him to go up to Jerusalem. And He had spoken very clearly about what what would happen to Him there Saying, for example, in chapter 9, verses 21 through 20, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be 
raised. This road that Jesus was on was the road to Jerusalem. It was the road to suffering. It was the road that led to the accomplishment of our redemption, the defeat of Satan, and the establishment of God's eternal kingdom. But it was first the road to the cross of Christ. We must keep this in mind as we interpret this text. Look again at verse 57, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Now we do not know who this someone was. His name is not given. But do notice how bold he was. Some commentators interpret his boldness as an attempt to secure a place among the inner circle of Jesus' disciples, perhaps among the twelve or the seventy. These same commentators will warn against such, such presumption. It is Christ who calls His disciples to Himself. It is Christ who appoints men to hold office. It is better to wait to be called by Christ than to be so forward. And perhaps these commentators are correct in their assessment of the situation. Christ does teach this principle in the parable of the wedding feast, and we will come to that eventually in Luke 14, 7-11. He concludes that parable with these words, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So perhaps that is the situation. This man was presumptuously attempting to insert himself into the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. And why would he do that if he did not first believe that glory was to be had there? Glory, immediate glory. Luke does not explicitly say what this man was thinking or what his motives were, but we can discern a lot from Jesus' reply. Look at what Jesus says in verse 58, And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. It is as if Jesus looked at this man and said to him, Are you sure you want to follow Me? You have thoughts of glory, again, dancing through your head. You, you think that by being included in the inner circle of My disciples, you will be given power and prestige. You will experience pleasures in this world. But look at my situation. There is no place for me in this world. The foxes and birds have homes and beds. I have nothing. And I go to Jerusalem to suffer. You had better count the cost. By the way, I think there is an interesting connection between this passage here and a very famous psalm. Psalm chapter 8. That psalm speaks of the coming Messiah. Uh, there referring to Him as the Son of Man. This is that psalm where the psalmist cries out to God saying, What is man that you are mindful of Him? Uh, and the Son of Man, you, you have given Him power and dominion. You have given Him authority over all things. And it is there in that beautiful psalm that His authority even over the birds of the air is mentioned. And so here Jesus refers to Himself as the Son of Man, perhaps reminding us of that Messianic psalm. And His remark about the birds of the air, I think, is also very interesting. Jesus would enter into glory. Jesus, the Son of Man, would be given dominion over all things, including the birds of the air. But first He had to come in a lowly estate. 
First, he had to come in such a state of being where even the birds of the air lived in greater luxury than he lived in. The birds had nests where they could rest. The Son of Man had nothing at all. So first, Christ came humbly. First, Christ came to suffer. First, the Son of Man would suffer even upon the cross. But from there, through the cross, he would enter into glory. And I think Jesus is reminding this would-be disciple of his of all of that. Are you sure you want to follow me? You're interested in glory, but do not forget that the way to glory is through the suffering of the cross. First, I must suffer the death on the cross and be raised to glory, and my disciples will walk the same road. They must take up their cross daily and follow after me, and it will be through suffering that you enter into glory. Count the cost is the message that he sent to this would-be disciple. I think we must remember the theme that runs through all of these passages. Men and women were having a very difficult time understanding that Jesus would suffer. They had beheld His glory. Their hopes for Him were very high. Many followed after Him because they were eager to share in His glory, but they could not comprehend His suffering, though He spoke so clearly about it. It seems that this man wanted glory, but Jesus reminded him of the suffering he would endure and the suffering that His disciples would be called to endure. Would there be glory? Yes. But Christ and His disciples would enter glory by taking up the cross. Christ would bear His, and He calls His disciples to bear theirs. And that is true for you and me as well. First the cross, then the glory. If you wish to be a disciple of Jesus, you had better count the cost. Listen to what Paul says about this in Romans 8, 16-17. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs... Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. What does that speak of except the glory that will be ours through our union with Christ? But listen to this remark from Paul. Provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. So to follow after Jesus, we must be willing to suffer with Him. First the cross and then the glory. Jesus challenged this man, whoever he was, to count the cost. And Luke, by recounting this story, is challenging us to do the same. Why else would he record this event for us if he were not desirous that we would also count the cost of being disciples of Jesus? J.C. Ryle comments on this passage, saying, Let us never forget this lesson. It need not make us afraid to begin serving Christ. But it ought to make us begin carefully, humbly, and with much prayer for grace. If we are not ready to partake in the afflictions of Christ, we must never expect to share His glory. And so I ask you, are you ready to share in the afflictions of Christ? Will God call you to suffer persecution or even martyrdom for the sake of Christ? Only God knows. But we should examine our hearts and count the cost. Certainly, Christ has called you to deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow Him. And so I ask, have you counted the cost? Perhaps you are thinking, but what cost is there really? In our day and age, we are not experiencing persecution. No, but persecution could quickly come. It was not long ago 
that we saw how quickly a government could begin to overstep its bounds and act in a tyrannical way. In the year 2020, the tyranny was not focused on the Christian exclusively, but it could be. Have you counted the cost? And I think you would agree that it is becoming increasingly difficult to maintain biblical values and perspectives and to live as a Christian in this increasingly pagan culture. Have you thought of this? Have you looked at your children and thought of this? Of how it's becoming more difficult to live as a Christian in this increasingly pagan culture. Opportunities for employment or career advancements may be somewhat limited for the Christian who is resolved to live according to their convictions. Have you counted the cost? The thought occurred to me that Christians are to marry in the Lord. And as our culture grows more and more godless and the true church and true Christians become more rare, finding a godly spouse becomes more difficult. Have you counted the cost? I could go on to talk about the obligations that disciples of Jesus have to obey God's law. If you are a disciple of Christ, you are a slave of Christ. He is your Lord. He is your master. And you are His bondservant. He has set you free from bondage to sin, Satan, and the terrors of His dark kingdom. And you have been set free to obey the Lord. You are bound to obey the Lord. Have you counted the cost? For example... The Christian is bound to free, excuse me, for example, the Christian is bound to flee from sexual immorality. This is what Paul commands. And listen to the reason he gives. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price, therefore we are to glorify God with all that we are. Have you counted the cost? Furthermore, the Christian is bound to honor the Lord's Day Sabbath and to keep it holy. This topic has been on my mind as of late um, for many reasons. This is the fourth of the Ten Commandments. It is God's law. The Sabbath day is a day to rest from worldly or common employments and recreations and to worship the Lord corporately and in private. Of all of the Ten Commandments, this one marks God's people and sets them apart as distinct in this world the most. For it affects how we spend our time. It affects how we order our lives. What do you mean? You will not allow your kids to play on the club team because we play on Sundays. Can you hear the voices? Right? What do you mean you will not be able to make it to mom's Mother's Day breakfast because you will be assembled with the church for worship? Can you hear the the derision even from your own family? I bring this up as just one example of what it will cost you to be a disciple of Jesus. To have Jesus as Savior means that we have Him as Lord. And what do disciples of Jesus do except keep His word, keep His law? Have you counted the cost? Have you counted the cost? What will it cost you? Many things. Will persecution arise? Will martyrdom come to the people of God living in this day and age? Maybe. But put that issue to the side and think that in the moment you follow after Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are laying down your life. It costs you everything. 
and you are surrendering yourself wholly unto Him. You're confessing Him to be Lord, and you are committing yourself to following after Him from that day forward. I can preach in this way and not fear losing any of God's people, because those who have been called by God and renewed by His Word and Spirit will say, Yes, I have counted the cost, and it is all worth it. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends upon faith. And here I am quoting Philippians 3, 8-9. through 9. This will be the perspective of every true Christian Every true disciple of Jesus, everyone who has been called effectively by the Word and the Spirit will say this, Yes, I have counted the cost. I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in comparison to having Christ Jesus as Lord and all of the benefits that He has earned for me. This is how the true disciple of Jesus will respond to the question, Have you counted the cost? But false professors will quickly fall away. Was this man who came to Jesus when he was on the road to Jerusalem a true disciple of Christ or a false professor? The text does not say. We don't know who he was. We don't know what became of him. But we do know that Christ did warn him to count the cost. To follow after Jesus, we must be willing to suffer with him. That is what we learn in verses 57 through 58. In verses 59 through 60, we learn that to follow Jesus we must give priority to Him. Look with me at verse 59. To another He said, Follow me. But He said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. This passage has puzzled some. After all, we might ask, isn't this request a reasonable one? I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first go and bury my father. Don't the Scriptures command us to show honor to father and mother? Yes, that is the fifth of the Ten Commandments. So, what is going on here? A few things need to be noted. One, the words, let me first go bury my father, could very well mean that this man's father was still alive, but near the end of his life. If this was the case, this disciple of Jesus, whoever he was, was requesting a furlough of an indeterminate length of time to go and to be with his father until he had passed so that he could then bury his father. Two, Matthew refers to this man as a disciple of Jesus in his gospel. In other words, this man was already a part of Jesus' band of disciples. Perhaps he was a part of the seventy. Three, Though the request might have been reasonable at another time, the time was not right for this disciple to return home. We must remember that Jesus was now on the way to Jerusalem. This was a very vital period of time as Jesus journeyed towards Jerusalem in order to suffer and to accomplish our salvation there. Five, when all things are considered, it is clear that this disciple was tempted to give priority to family over Christ. He was tempted to honor his earthly father over his father in heaven. Typically, 
There is no conflict between these two duties. Ordinarily, we are able to honor God the Father and our earthly fathers simultaneously. But when the two duties conflict, when there is a clash between the first commandment, which is, you shall have no other gods before me, and the fifth commandment, which is, honor your father and mother, it is the worship of God and obedience to Christ that is to be prioritized. Thanks be to God. Typically, the two duties do not contradict, but when they do, Christ is to get the priority. This is why Jesus replied to His disciples, saying, Leave the bury the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. In other words, let those who are spiritually dead deal with the task of burying the physically dead. At this time, you must devote yourself to the proclamation of the kingdom of God, and it is my interpretation that the request of this man was denied in part because the timing was so bad. Just as a soldier would not be granted leave in the heat of battle, neither was this man granted leave in this most crucial of times. Furthermore, we should remember the promise of Christ found in Matthew 19.29, And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold, and will inherit eternal life. And so here we see that sometimes the Lord does call His disciples to make great sacrifices for the sake of advancing the kingdom of Christ. And when Christ does call one of His disciples to do this, He must be faithful to do this. Christ must receive the priority always. To honor your father and mother, to love and care for your spouse or children, of course, is a very good and important thing. Most of the time, there is no difficulty at all in honoring God and Christ and honoring these. But if there is a dilemma... God and Christ must always be given the priority. Truth be told, disciples of Jesus find themselves in perplexing situations like this quite often. The father of a Christian woman does not approve of her faith and commands her not to assemble with the church for worship on the Lord's day. What then? God and Christ must be honored supremely. The wife of a Christian husband does not approve of his faith and promises trouble in the marriage. If he follows after Christ, the marriage will be difficult and she will see to it. What then? God and Christ must be honored supremely. The parents of of a young Christian man do not want to see their son go to the mission field in obedience to the call of God in his life or to enter into the ministry given the opportunities for a lucrative career elsewhere. What should this young man do? Should he honor the wishes of his parents or should he respond faithfully to the call of God upon him? God in Christ must be honored supremely. Or the unbelieving children in the home of believing parents do not wish to be in church on the Lord's day. They are driven to play sports on the Lord's Day and are adamant that their future depends upon it. What then? God and Christ must be honored supremely. These sorts of pressures are felt quite often by disciples of Jesus. And so we must be prepared to follow the Lord resolutely, to give Him all priority. Do not be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, when some of the strongest opposition to your devotion to Christ 
arises within your own home or from within your extended family. The evil one will often use good things like the desire to show honor to father and mother or the desire to marry or to have a peaceful marriage or the desire to give good gifts to our children to tempt men and women to fall back from their wholehearted devotion to God and Christ. The evil one is very sly, isn't he? He will use good things often to tempt his people to fall back from devotion to Christ. To a follow after Jesus, he must be honored as Lord and King. And kings must always be given priority. Finally, we come to the third encounter between Jesus and a would-be disciple. It is in this encounter, as recorded in Luke 9, 61-62, that we learn to follow Jesus. We must persevere with Him. Look at verse 61. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. I do think this text is meant to remind us of the story about Elijah and his calling of Elisha to follow him and to be his successor, as recorded in 1 Kings 19, which we read a moment ago. Remember, Elisha was found plowing a field, and Jesus plays off of that, saying, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And the request of Elisha and this would-be disciple of Jesus was the same. Let me go first say goodbye to my family. So the stories share these similarities. Where do the two stories differ? Well, in this regard, Elijah granted the request, but Jesus denied it. Why? Perhaps this was to highlight that the work Jesus was doing was far superior to the work that Elijah was doing. Elijah was zealous to purify Israel under the Old Covenant. Christ came to purify and expand Israel by inaugurating the New Covenant. Perhaps the timing was bad, and that is why Jesus denied the request. He was on His way to Jerusalem, remember. This was no time for a return trip home. Or perhaps it was because the man's request was, in fact, insincere. He was not so concerned to say goodbye to his family as he was to find a way to avoid the trouble that was ahead. And I suspect that the reason for the denial of the request was a combination of these things. Jesus' reply strongly suggests that the man was wavering in his commitment. Here he was, perhaps he had been following Jesus loosely for a time, but as he envisioned the future as they began to head towards Jerusalem where there was so much hostility towards Christ. He said, I'll follow you, but I'd like to skip this part. I'd like to go home and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus said, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Uh, This mention of looking back is perhaps meant to remind us of Lot's wife who looked back. Do not look back. Those who follow after Jesus must be faithful. They must persevere. And so I ask you by way of conclusion, uh, brothers and sisters, have you considered what it will cost you to follow Jesus? Salvation is a gift given by God through Christ and by the Spirit. It costs nothing to receive. So come to Christ. Let the one who is thirsty come. 
Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price, says Revelation 22.17. But to have Christ as Savior, one must bow before Him as Lord, and that will cost you everything. This is why Christ calls His disciples with these words, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. But do not forget the great mystery. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for Christ's sake will save it. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, We give you thanks for Christ and for the salvation that is found in Him. Lord, do help us to count the cost. We know that Christ calls us to follow Him, but that He must be our Lord. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters who have already professed faith in Christ, that they would be more resolved than ever to follow after Christ, seeing that it is certainly worth it. Strengthen our faith, O Lord, so that we would say with conviction that we count all of these things that we have lost as as rubbish in comparison to knowing Christ and having Him as Lord and Savior. I pray for those who are in a period of time even now where they are considering whether or not they should follow after Christ. Call them, O Lord, by Your Word and Spirit. Enlighten their minds so that they might know for certain that it is indeed worth it to follow after Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would increase the faith of us all, that we would be more resolved than ever to obey the Lord and to worship and serve Him according to His Word. Lord, help us as sojourners living in a time and age where it is becoming increasingly difficult to be a follower of Jesus. Lord, give us resolve. I pray that we would not be like this man who put his hand to the plow and then looked back. But Lord, help us to look straight straight ahead and to walk with resolve and to set our eyes upon the prize, eternal life with Christ Jesus. Grant us perseverance, O Lord. It's in the name of Christ that we pray these things and all of God's people say.